And then one day I was walking into work, picture the scene, it's the center of London, it's a spring morning, the sun's shining, the birds are singing in the park, and I can see the sun glinting off of Buckingham Palace in the distance, Big Ben is chiming, it's nearly eight o'clock. And as I'm walking along, I realize I'm crying. There are tears rolling down my face. And it, I stopped in my tracks, thought, what is happening? And I realized at that moment just how unhappy I was. Hey, I'm Julia Lopez, communication architect, international speaker, author of Leading High Heels, and your host. Welcome to Brave, Bold, and Brilliant Podcast. Together with my guests, I will share with you inspiring stories where being brave and bold were the trigger to becoming brilliant. For the past decade, I've been helping professionals to express themselves with clarity and confidence in any stage and arena of their lives. Communication is key to success. And stories have the potential to transform lives and move people into action. There is someone, somewhere, who needs to hear exactly what you have to say. Be brave, bold, and brilliant, and speak up unapologetically. Hi, everyone. I'm so happy to have you here with me today, Pat Duckworth. I met Pat a few years ago in an event in London, the Women Economic Forum, where she was sharing her knowledge on, based on her first book, which I have here with me, Hot Women Rock. And I remember the time we had a, a wonderful conversation and we were in the same panel, we exchanged books and we became, I could say, friends since then. And we have been sharing our experience through social media and sharing our knowledge through different com communities. And I invited Pat here today because she has lots to share. She has also, uh, she is also a woman who is supporting women's wellness in the workplace. And especially moments like this right now, where our home became a workplace. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of going on about and being stable, being balanced, and managing all this madness that is happening around uh, us. And also because she is launching another book, which is very interesting. The title here, Menopause, Mind the Gap. I will let her to share with you her stories, path for you. Thank you. What an introduction. Yeah, it's such a joy to meet you when we were both in London talking together. So I've been reflecting on this, knowing that I was going to be talking to you. And I thought, when did I make my first bold move? And I would say right back when I was 18. So I was bold when I was 18. I took the decision then when I left school not to go to university. It's a lot of years ago, and it wasn't kind of a done deal that you would go to university. But I made that decision that I wanted to get out to work and earn some money. So if you like, that was the first bold decision. But the second one was 
that I would go and train to be a surveyor. Now, I don't know whether you use the same term, but this is somebody who values property, puts a value on commercial property, residential property, whether it's for sale or leasing. And it was three years of study to become a chartered surveyor. Now, at that time, it was a very unusual uh, occupation for a woman to go into. In fact, there was 1% of membership of the Royal Institution of Charter Surveyors were women, 1%. And their aspiration was 3%. So <laughs> they didn't think a lot of women were going to take to this. It makes me sound like this was the Victorian times, but it wasn't. This was the 1970s. And so I did three years of training to become a chartered surveyor. And that set the foundation for my life, really, because instead of going into the private sector where there really weren't very many women surveyors at all, I was in the public sector. I was working for government. And I spent the next 30 years of my life working as a surveyor, going from technical work into managerial work, ending up in sort of corporate work in central government. And so that big and bold decision gave rise to a career that lasted for over 30 years. And most of it, I was really enjoying myself. So which is I, the most important thing that I want to thank my 18 year old self for that decision, because she set the foundations for the life that I live now. So you know, thank, how was, thank you to her. <laughs> yes. And how was the transition from, from being like a, a civil servant? Yeah working for the government and then doing what you do now, which is helping all these women to go through this phase, which I'm welcome myself to that phase, yes. <laughs> <laughs> which is not that easy. I think I'm doing it quite well, but I, I know friends of mine, they, they go through very difficult, the mm. whole, the body, the emotion, the psychology and everything. You get there. How was the transition? When did you decide to go? To that direction. So this was my my next biggest, bravest, boldest decision, really. And it, it just came in a day. Uh, during my 50s, I'd worked my way up to senior levels of government. I was a director in a big government department. In my 50s, I did an MBA, which I think was another good decision to make, quite a bold decision. I My symptoms of menopause weren't that strong, but I did constantly feel like I needed a new pair of glasses mm. because I couldn't feel like I saw the world clearly and I now recognize that as the sort of brain fog that a lot of women go through just as our hormones are changing it affects the functioning of our brains and a lot of women say they just don't think straight anymore but I was navigating that it really wasn't too bad And then one day I was walking into work, picture the scene. It's the center of London. It's a spring morning, the sun's shining, the birds are singing in the park. And I can see the sun glinting off of Buckingham Palace in the distance. Big Ben is chiming. It's nearly eight o'clock. And as I'm walking along, I realize I'm crying. There are tears rolling down my face. And it, I stopped in my tracks, thought, what is happening? And I realized at that moment just how unhappy I was, that I'd achieved everything that my 18-year-old self had wanted, 
that I'd got the really good position. I'd got this office in central London. I had a team. I had status. And I was crying. And that was a real wake-up call. And I would say to all of your women listeners that sometimes, you know, it's like nature gives us a little slap around the face and says, come on, wake up. And sometimes if you ignore that, you get the, the big whack that says, really, you need to do something. Fortunately, this little tap said to me, what's going on? Why am I so unhappy? And of course, if you're doing uh, a job with a lot of responsibility, I was traveling, commuting into London two hours each way a day, very long days, and really not being appreciated for what I did. I wasn't supported in the workplace. My boss really gave me no support at all and didn't really give me the appreciation for what I could do. In fact, one day I said to him, can I have some feedback on my performance? And he, he looked at me and he said, why? Oh. And I yes. <laughs> and I said, well, I'd really like to know how you feel I'm doing. And he went, oh, okay. Uh, you're obviously good with people. So I thought, good. He said, but so what? And oh, what a horrible person. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> so what? And I was a manager. I was managing two teams, one of them remotely, and yet being good with people wasn't seen to be a talent. And so because that's actually fundamental to me, it's one of my values is, you know, developing people, bringing them on. At some level, my system, my brain was saying to me, this is no good for you. And that night I got home and I said to my husband, I can't carry on doing this for another 10, 12 years until I retire. And he said, I know, I just had to wait for you to know that. He said, what are you going to do about it? And I said, well, I've been thinking about it during the day. I've been interested in neuro-linguistic programming, how the brain works, interested in complementary healthcare. I want to start exploring that. I'm going to stay at my job because, you know, we need the money. And, uh, but I'm going to find a way out of it. And he said, fine, whatever you need, I'll support you. Oh, that's so good, huh? Yes. Yeah. That's really good. It would have been far harder if I'd got home and he said, well, you know, I don't know what you think you're going to so do. So what? Yes. Like, <laughs> yes. Because this guy there back in your office, he, for sure, this is the answer he gives to his wife. Yes. And actually, and this is a point I'll come on to as well, is that he had four senior women solicitors working under him. He was the head solicitor. He lost those four women in a year. So it wasn't just me and it wasn't just women either. I came to find out it was just who he was as a person. He didn't get that being a manager was about supporting, developing, mentoring. So, it's a life without purpose. Absolutely. And, or, and it comes to what your book says here at the very beginning. I really lo love the first chapter when you're talking about purpose. Yes. That if we don't find a purpose, it, it, there's no meaning in what we do. How can we be brilliant if we're not working towards a purpose? And I think this is a stage a lot of women at midlife get to when their bodies are starting to change and 
Oh my God, they change. Yes. <laughs> I'm, still, okay. I'm still trying to get in good terms with mine because sometimes I don't understand what I see in the mirror. <laughs> yes, it's changing all the time. So yeah, once I'd had that experience, I started to explore how could I retrain while still staying doing what I was doing. A friend of mine who was another brilliant support She had trained with an institute on neuro-linguistic programming and hypnotherapy. Long story short, she said to me, why, why don't you go and have a look at that? I signed up for it. So the start of this story is in the spring. Um, I sign up for the course and I'm going to start it in the October. I get back from my holidays in August and there's an email has come round asking if anybody's interested in early retirement. And I was in the zone, I was over 50, so I was in that zone where I could apply for it. And I went to my, uh, I, by this stage, I had another boss and I went to him and I said, you know, I'm going to apply for it. And I thought he was really settled and enjoying what he did. And the following day, he said to me, I'm applying for it too. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> so It's clear that the environment that you, the environment you were working was not really functioning. No, it wasn't going well because he, again, had spent all of his life working there and, um, you know, progressing and getting to a good position and then not being happy. And I think I gave him that impetus to do something about it. So it's like the universe gave me the little tap. I took the first step by enrolling to do the course, which I was going to have to do over 10 months at weekends in my own time. And the universe said, well done. Here's the next thing. So now you can take early retirement. And I didn't get that retirement until the December. So I was already doing the course, but now I was ready to step into the new year with another seven months of the course to do, but really on my path. And that was the start of this whole new career and then specializing into helping women at midlife to realize what it is they really wanted to do. Amazing. And when was that? That was 2010. I finished my training in July 2010 and immediately set up in practice as a hypnotherapist and a coach and then gradually developed. I, I really love presenting to groups. Uh, I know some people, it really worries them. I love it. It's one of my... <laughs> It's one of my I prefer groups too. <laughs> so I love standing up and, uh, and giving talks because I love sharing knowledge. It's just the best thing. Knowledge that you teach yourself, not much fun. Knowledge that you share just grows and gets even better. And then just gradually then in 2012, I published my first book, which was Hot Women Cool Solutions, which was then to talk more about menopause. And talk a little bit about the book, because it's not only menopause, it's, it's, I love it, it's how to discover your midlife entrepreneurial mojo. Yeah. And I think in this moment in time now that we are living this, whatever it is, there's yeah. no definition for this moment. Let's just try to take the best of it. And I find that many women, especially our, this age, this midlife Many are back home or sent back home and many are made redundant yes. and are told, are made to believe that they are not capital for the market. Yeah. And I think it, now is an opportunity for them to share, to put in, in a format that of trainings, of 
uh, courses of coaching mm. their knowledge. Share a little bit of what you have put in this book here, which is awesome. So in the Hot Women Rock, it was moving on from just like the symptoms of menopause into what happens as a transformation at menopause is that chance to press the reset button and think about who you wanted to be in the second part of your life. And I used all of that knowledge from the first part of my life and the hypnotherapy training because the model that I use in Hot Women Rock is a, what's called neurological levels. It's the fact that our brain works in a hierarchy of levels. And to make really fundamental change, we need to engage all of our brain. And the very highest level of that was what you were talking about a few moments ago, the sense of purpose. When we've got a really strong sense of purpose, that's like our chief executive, you know, in our brain, that's the part of the brain that controls everything underneath it. When we're clear about our purpose, we can learn more, we can develop different beliefs. You know, I could have gone with the belief of, well, I've always worked in the public sector. How can I be entrepreneurial? I don't know what it means. But if I alter that belief to think, well, I've learned so much in the past, I can carry on learning and learn how to be an entrepreneur, that changes how I approach it. And I can have, I can bring my values into it. So I still have values around public service, but now my values are focused on helping more people, helping more women, e either in the workplace or in their personal lives to achieve what they want to achieve. And the second half of the book is women's stories, because as I was writing the book and you know, various women colleagues were saying to me, oh, what are you up to now? I said, oh, I'm writing this book about becoming an entrepreneur. Like, oh, I did, I did that, or I made a big change. I did something different. And I said, oh, well, I'll put your story in my book. And I ended up with 21 stories in the book <laughs> of all these amazing women who got to that stage in life and just did an internal audit and thought, what is it I really wanted to do and how can I do it? It's very interesting. Many years ago, I read a book called The Female Brain. It's oh. a doctor, a, a, an American doctor, who her research, she made a book for layperson like me could understand. And she go through the process, things like analyzing babies from babies, the, mm. the, the boy and the girl, focusing on the girls and the women throughout life. Long story short, um, she says that when women reaches this the midlife the 50s is in her body and her physiology that the body says now you have your kids grown up you have done your your as mother nature expects you to do you're free to go in the sense that uh, women change their, their behavior even like not feeling so uh, responsible to um to accommodate their the family needs mm -hmm. in her agenda anymore. Mm -hmm. She started becoming more independent. And I think as women, we, we go very, because we have more connection with this spiritual thing, whatever it is, we, we are more into the inner development anyways. And I think it's when the big questions start mm -hmm. and when is that the, what is the purpose? And it's when some look back and realize that I've been here playing a role almost in an automatic way 
and now I have to find my way. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I went to see a homeopath last year because I had some allergy problems. And he said to me, are you still doing the menopause work? And I said, yes. He said, I really envy women their menopause. He said, it's such a chance to reevaluate your life. He said, as men, we don't get that opportunity. And I think, you know, in some cultures, women, as they go past menopause, are very well respected as the wise women of that community or that tribe. We tend to have lost that a bit in the West. But, you know, I'm sure in the past that role was there because in evolutionary terms, there's an evolutionary premium to having women in the tribe who aren't childbearing because they're the people who can who have the wisdom and the knowledge and they can look after the women who are childbearing. So at this stage of life, there's such an important role for us to play and to really find how we can bring our brilliance, our boldness into this phase of life and do something amazing with it. And how we can get the, the younger generation to start tapping into this, going through this process mm. earlier, right? Yeah. And for me, that is a very important aspect. There's so much negativity and fear around midlife and menopause for women. I don't know whether men feel the same thing. I, you know, men used to have midlife crises where they would go off and buy a motorbike and, you know, do something crazy. Um, but for women, it's always been that, oh, I'm now past it. You know, so part of my I'm life old. is over. I'm old now. Yeah. And, you know, I feel this is the best phase of my life. I really enjoyed what went before. But now I can really settle in to doing what I want to do the most. I can get up every morning and think, is this what I want to do today? And, you know, I can develop in the ways that I want to develop. And you're right. We need to encourage younger women not to fear this stage of life. They often go into the years around menopause with no idea what's going to happen to their bodies. Mm -hmm. Because they don't want to know that it's like if you talk about getting old, it happens. Well, you know, I think by talking about it and preparing for it, it doesn't happen in the same way. And you can, you know, it's, it's okay to grieve a bit for the stage of the life that went before. You know, if some women really grieve for not being able to be mothers anymore, that's okay. But don't spend the next 50 years grieving it. You know, you may have another 50 years to go and we really want to use it in the best possible way. Yeah, absolutely. But there are, there are some pressures that mm -hmm. we cannot avoid. I tell it for myself, my lovely, um, now that I, I, I accepted my salt and pepper hair, <laughs> <laughs> but there was a moment for me that was, I, I had to go through the process with myself of looking at myself and seeing the, the gray coming up and saying, how would I keep this? What do people look at me and feel, look at me and, and they think that I am old now and all this kind of thing. But it, it was a, a process that I, I embraced because I said, I want to go through this and, and 
be okay with it. Mm. But there are pressures that uh, mm. around those. Even my friends will say, no, what are you doing? Leaving this hair, go and, and dye your hair again, please. No, you're too young for that. You have a lot of energy. So, but then I say like 50s are, are the new 30s as well. Because for mm. me, I, it's the energy I have, I mm. think is my, my uh, 30 energy, however, we do need to do this work to feel okay and to embrace the moment. Yeah, I was talking with a, I was working one-to-one with a client this morning who was, who was bemoaning her hair because of course we can't go for hairdressers at the moment. And I said to her, I said, you know, my hair when I was younger was a, a dark brown. It was a mahogany color brown. You know, there was a touch of red and ginger in it. And she said, I would never have thought that. I said, I know. And at some stage I had to decide, was I going to go gray? Was I going to go blonde? And I decided to embrace my inner blonde. (laughs) 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 Because, you know, the skin is changing as well. And if you keep really dark hair as your skin is getting paler, it just starts to not look so good. And I thought, I, I, you know, I... I'm not going to be able to stay dark brown. I need to be able to change my color. I thought, well, I'm I'm going to give blonde a go. And that was probably about 15 years ago. And uh, I don't think there's much brown left in my hair. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but you know, these silly things that uh, for us, and it's a pattern of behavior and cultural beliefs or standards, that uh, are, are imposed that men are okay oh they look charming with their gray hair but women you look old yeah. and all these kind of things they are changing because now with this lockdown have you seen how many people like even women on tv the 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 journalists they are leaving their hair and this is a sign it's a good sign a sign of okay that's that's what it is that's who i am and i think is is a process but yeah. I'm happy with my salt and pepper now. Yeah, uh, uh, and it suits you. I think you look lovely. Um, and it, it is about like recognizing that there will be changes in, in your skin tone, in your, um, in your body shape. Um, because just as at puberty, our bodies change shape to prepare for reproduction. So we put on fat. So we, you know, our hips got shapely and we developed bosoms and, you know, that that was all seen as really good. You know, often at puberty, girls are quite excited about it. You know, they're seeing themselves develop into women. And yet there is no excitement at the other end of that when you can go, oh, my periods are stopping. This is fantastic. I don't have to worry about getting pregnant any longer. I don't have to deal with the cycles. And now I can really just be who I want to be there should be some like excitement and celebration around that as well, because I've just seen women do amazing things at this stage of life, either, you know, whether it's entrepreneurial or they develop um, like charities. Often women step into that voluntary sector because they've got a very strong passion around something around a cause, or they even get political and start founding committees and supporting causes because now they've got that freedom to do it. Yeah. And we, we are women, we work, we like to be together. 
Yes. We we like to be in groups, and I think that's the we need to to reinforce more, like with the work you do, the work I do, to get women together. Because when we are together, we really uh, support each other, and we mm. slap each other when it's needed as well. In a good group environment, I'm not saying a, a bad with the with the bad intention, bad energy, not supportive, but a, a good supportive uh, women's group can do like miracles and help women to to really uh, connect first connect to their essence and really blossom mm, yeah and that's what we need to be doing is supporting each other you know it's um because when women are younger it can be very competitive uh you know not just how you look but who you're attracting and I think you know a lot of social media has fed on that competition and women looking at other women thinking oh, I don't look as good as she looks or her life looks better than mine or where she is on her holidays it looks better than me and even like competitiveness during this past year in in lockdown where you know oh that person seems to be coping better than I do she's teaching her children better than I do you know this competition we need to let it go and think oh that woman perhaps needs some help or is there anything I can learn or you know how can I keep developing rather than worrying what somebody else is doing yeah let the competition side of it go and embrace who you are and what you want to do. But don't you think that at a stage when we are get, getting to this, this point in time and life that we are, nature is preparing us for reproduction. I think this, yes. this kind of competition comes also from the subconscious mind yes. on the survival like of the race that we are, because that's what happens in nature. There is a competition. Yeah. And I think it, the important thing that we should... Um, we should teach young girls like us, the mm -hmm. ones who are in this phase, to understand the, this, to understand that and shift that there are some good competitions which are how they can bring the best of themselves in their work environment, in competing in uh, the same level as everybody else, because mm -hmm. the work environment is a competition where men is always playing the competition and we are trying to compromise and be seen. And then maybe when they realize how good I am, I get that position. So I think it's shifting the energy of this competition of women and women. And I'm, I'm prettier than you are. And I went to that guy because in understanding that this somehow something coming from your subconscious because it's nature and trying to get you to mate <laughs> and then uh, to transfer that energy to something that they will build towards the future. What do you think? Am I yeah. to the topic? No, no, I think that's, that's fine. I, you know, just going out into the garden today, I can hear the birds singing and I know that they're in competition already. You know, they know that spring is coming, that they're, they're honing their voices because they want to mate with the best birds in the garden. I know what they're up to out there. Um, and it, it's competition that isn't about pulling other people down. You know, we need to lift each other up. If you're succeeding at somebody else's expense because you've somehow detracted from them, 
you know, if it's fair competition and somebody's making a choice between you and another person, fine. But if you're somehow detracting from the other person in order to succeed, that's not so healthy. And that's why in the new book, Menopause Mind the Gap, I'm trying to alert employers to think about women at this stage of life and the support that they need. You know, if we, because if you set up self-support systems, if you've got a big enough organization where you've got a lot of women in that over 45 age group, they're probably not talking about menopause because they're frightened of the whole aging and the discrimination that goes with it. And because of that, because they're not getting the support, they might leave your organization at a time when they're really knowledgeable, when they've had lots of experience, but they're not feeling well and you don't know why they're going, but they're drifting out of your organization and you're with all the cost of recruitment. Whereas if you set up some simple things, even if it's a support group that women run for themselves, by opening up the conversation and making it all right to talk about it, you're pushing at an open door. Women will then go, oh, thank God, I can tell you, you know, has anybody else got this brain fog thing? Do you sleep okay? Are you having hot flushes? How's your confidence? And suddenly it all comes pouring out. I, I'm running an online course at the moment and one of the women in the group said that she decided to run a little research project and she wrote out to every, all the employees, it was in a university, um, saying, do you want support? Would you like training? Would you like you know, support groups? Within 24 hours, she had 188 responses saying yes. Mm -hmm. And nobody had ever talked about it before. Mm -hmm. So these are women within a university environment who are saying, oh, thank heavens, can we talk about this? You know, where can I get some support from? And, and sometimes it is just that sharing of what are you experiencing? Am I odd that I've got these feelings and how can we sort it out? So, you know, competition in the workplace is fine as long as we're not using it to pull other people down. Absolutely. And um, go, everything goes back to what you're saying there, um, path is everything goes back to us understanding it, it always starts from one right from yes. yourself and understanding what's going on with you in a moment in time not only now the past and in being able to express that yeah. because when once you're able to express that because if we, we look at children right I, um, children they they don't know how to put in words how they're feeling mm -hmm. so what they do they cry they cry, they scream, or, or they laugh, or when they are happy. And we, as we grow, supposedly, we learn how to express our feelings. But that is not really true. No. Many people go through life without, like, your whatever <laughs> boss there. <laughs> what did he say? He said, so what? You're so what, boss? They are not able to express in words, verbalize a feeling. Yeah. And I think it's important this uh, starting this early, as early as possible in life and uh, to understand emotions and put a name on them. So then you can relate to them because then you have something that you can deal with mm -hmm. and, can, and can start 
working in healing. Because if we were just reacting towards emotions, and I think that's what happens in the work environment as well, mm. because there's a lot of reactions because nobody talks about it and nobody really knows how to deal with. And we women, we have a tendency also to cry because we get overwhelmed and then we cry mm. because we don't know how to express mm. also that. We, crying is good. I'm all fond of liberate yourself through your crying. It's good. It's healthy. But I think it's important then, then you assess that moment and assess yourself and say, what happened here now? Why, mm. why did I cry? Yeah. And then try to understand that because the next time that it happens, then you can even verbalize if you're in the middle of people with people that are like, listen, I have to cry, but I come back and I explain to you why. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, it takes me back to um, my second job when I was working for a city council and um, I was only in my mid twenties and I was sent off for some basic management training. And you know, back in the day when you went to management training and you had to do role play and I'm, I'm really talking about like the late 70s when computers were fairly new and fairly basic. And we had to role play uh, a member of staff who was resisting a new electric computer, you know, in the typing pool, used to the old one, suddenly there's an electric computer. And I was playing the woman typist and this guy was playing my manager. And... <laughs> It just takes me back to it and saying to me, so what's the problem? I said, well, I'm really worried, you know, if this is plugged in, if there's, if there's a thunderstorm, is lightning going to come up and kill me, you know? And he was like, why are you saying this? And then I did the, oh, I'm going to cry. And he's like, no, 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 please don't cry. Please don't cry. <laughs> I think one of the biggest fears of male managers is women crying because they think, I don't know what I'm going to do if this woman cries. Yeah, but you know, it is, is uh, when someone cries in front of you, not only men, but uh, uh, feel that way. I think we feel as well, if you're in with a colleague that then all of a sudden they start crying without uh, being able to express why the crying is coming from. And it makes everybody uncomfortable. Yeah, You just don't know how to deal with it. it, it, it there's a kind of a, this moment, everything, everything gets frozen. <laughs> so what are we going to do here right now? <laughs> so it yeah. is a comfortable situation. And I know the emotions comes out and we women, we are more emotional, um, more willing to express that. And we don't control that as much. And there is a positive side of it. But also, I think we have to learn how to deal with it. I have a, a very interesting story. And many years ago, uh, back in Zurich in a meeting, and this lady who was a top executive for a um, telecom uh, company, and there was a panel and she, she was asked, but you are, she was a CEO and only man. And she, she said, but what, what do you do when you are in those very difficult meetings that everything is going uh, like not going the way you have planned that you feel so frustrated that is when you feel like the tears coming oh. here you no know? and then she said this happened to me and what I did was I stopped everybody said just give me a second she said I ran to the toilet I cried for 10 minutes then I put myself together again I got back to the room of course they saw that I was crying, 
But everybody was with the big eyes towards me. But then I sat down, breathing, breathing, and then said, okay, then I got myself back on track. Oh. And nobody cared. No. Because at the end, is is this like, okay, you gave yourself that time. I, I cannot hold this. She ran away. She put herself together and she came back and took the, the lead again. Yeah. This is the learning that I, I'm telling, um, sharing here with you that I, I believe we have to understand our limits as well. Because sometimes we have to say, hold on a second, I'm, I need a break. I cannot yeah. deal with this right now. Yeah, and as a, as a therapist working one-to-one with people, there are often breakdowns uh, because that change happens. That's the moment of change when it starts to be released. So I never stop people from crying if they're with me physically. And obviously I, I haven't been able to work one-to-one in my therapy room with people for nearly a year now, but I, I'm still working with clients over Zoom. And sometimes, whether it's a man or a woman, the tears come. And I say, it's okay, take a minute. And I don't try and soothe them. I don't try and calm them down because something is happening. There's a process going on. There's, there's a grief or an expression and I need to hear what it is. You know, what was that that came up? You know, how can we use what just came up? Not, oh, there, there, there. Let me, you know, let me give you a tissue. Let me calm you down. no sit with it what's coming out what's coming up for you that's being expressed in this way and I've seen it with men and with women that this is the moment of breakthrough this is where we can get real transformation yeah and taking that back to the stage where is one of the my my trainees know to get women on stage there sometimes there's a, a, a question a woman asks um, but uh, what about if I get too emotional on stage and start crying? I said, my way of seeing is this way. Uh, first, when you're preparing your presentation, if you want to share something that is, will bring emotions, uh, you have to assess that first. Because mm. certain emotions we can share, we can even get emotional with some tears, but we are in control of that. Mm. But what cannot happen on stage, for example, is that you lose that breakthrough on stage doesn't work no. <laughs> because then you're going to make everybody panic yeah. in, in the audience. However, when you're sharing something that is dear for you, it was important, a moment in time, a story, and some tears come, but you're sharing that from your heart, but you're sharing the experience, the emotion mm. that experience. That is a beautiful thing. Mm. Everybody welcome that and say that you, you showed your vulnerability on yes. stage. It's a big difference then breaking down and losing the control. Absolutely, because when you're speaking on stage, it's not for your transformation, it's for the audiences. And sometimes you might call somebody up on stage to work with you. I've done that in small groups where I've worked with somebody one-to-one and you have to hold that space really safely for them in case they end up being vulnerable and in tears And then you have to be able to hold them in that moment and 
the people who are watching, they have to feel safe to be there and the person you're working with has to feel safe to do that transformation. That's very different, as you say, from you having a breakdown, which doesn't serve anybody. But sometimes if you're working with somebody, you're serving them and you're serving the people who are watching and you just have to be very careful with it. Yes, absolutely. And Pat, tell us a little bit more about your next book, The Mind the Gap. What is the gap without revealing all the secrets, of course? I you know, schoolgirl era, I haven't brought a copy of my book down to show you. And you see on the cover, there's a woman jumping across a gap between two office buildings. And what I'm trying to say to employers is, well, firstly, give them some of the statistics that there are more women over 45 in the workplace than there has ever been before, not just corporately, but as entrepreneurs as well. Lots of reasons behind that. But, you know, part of it is those women who got maternity rights back in the 70s and 80s have carried on working and they're now getting to this stage and they still have really good careers. So there are more women in this perimenopause phase in the workplace than there's ever been before. That's fine. 75% of them experience menopause symptoms that they say can disrupt their performance. 25% experience frequent and intense symptoms that definitely affect their performance in the workplace. Mm. So if, they're not, if there isn't a culture in the workplace of being able to talk about it, that gap opens up where those women start to not perform as well, take more time off sick, um, often they bear the cost of it in that they decide without talking to their manager that they're going to go to part-time work because they don't feel that they can be in the workplace every day, full hours. So they're actually contracting their careers. They don't go for opportunities because they don't feel so confident. If they're having a lot of hot flushes, they might think, oh, no, people are going to think I'm nervous they're not going to employ me. And 25% of women consider leaving their careers because wow. of their symptoms. That is huge, huge. When you think how many women at this age, there's at least um, three and a half million women in the workplace just in the UK who are in this age group. You take 25% of those thinking about leaving jobs that they're trained and experienced in, and as an employer, you don't know why they're leaving you. And then this is another point that came to my mind here. It is interrupting you a second. Oh. Because we are always in this conversation that started a few years ago that we need more women in leadership. We need more women in leadership. So these are exactly the women that reach the point to be in high leading positions and they leave because of all this aspect of their lives. Yeah, and, and, and yeah, a few changes in the workplace to provide support can turn that around. And when I was publishing the book two weeks ago, I thought, is this the right time to publish it? There's so much going on, you know, with everything that's being dealt with. But actually, at the moment, what employer doesn't want to be getting the best performance out of their staff? You want everybody to be performing well, you, you don't want some people who don't seem to be settled and leaving you 
when you really want this really good workforce. So it's a it's an ideal time to be talking about it. And also while everything's up in the air, what could you be putting in place? You know, could you be making those simple adjustments like making sure women have got easy access to drinking water, which you need to stay hydrated, easy access to toilets. Not every woman has that in her workplace. Have they got somewhere where they can store any medical or sanitary wear that they need, where they don't have to be getting it out in front of people? If they have to wear a uniform, could you make any adjustments to the uniform? Those are the really simple things. But then you can take a more strategic approach and think, how are we talking about this in the workplace? What's our culture? Do women feel okay to talk to their managers about this? Uh, have we got some kind of communication policy? Is there a support group? Could we set up a helpline? It has to be what we would say horses for courses. You know, it depends on the size of your organization, how many things you want to put in place. But just by things that don't take much money, you could be improving the performance, you could be improving retention, you could keep yourself out of employment tribunals, you know, because cases have gone to tribunal on this and have been won by the women because the necessary adjustments weren't made. So there's lots of positives to taking action on it. It is awesome. You, 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 even for me, you opened my, um, up my mind of things, of these simple things that I never really thought about it. And I, back to what you said, is this book important now? Just listening to you, I think, yes, yeah. absolutely. Because um, I, when we go back to whatever normal is going to be, I feel like we are in this transition without yeah. an, a, a light at the end of the tunnel. That's my, my feelings there will be a lot of restart. Mm. It's not like, um, it's not going to be just readjustment. It's going mm. to be a restart. Mm. And because it's a restart, there's, there are possibilities of implementing things that were not there before, mm. right? Yeah. So I, I, I believe it's a good mo a moment for all of us women, you all out there that will listen to this, to this podcast and then watch the video and that start thinking what are your needs and start communicating and if you find difficulties find the support find talk to Pat talk to me talk yes. to many women out there who are helping and looking working for helping all of us as a collective absolutely and you know finding that way to talk to management in your company or in your organization um, I, I was really pleasantly surprised when one of my colleagues in America posted uh, about my book in his LinkedIn page. Now, in America, they're not really talking about this subject much in terms of how it affects workplace performance. When I talk to my colleagues about it, they say, why are you talking about that? He posted this up in his group. In that day, there were 105 responses from men and women saying, I never thought about this. This is really important information. I'm so glad you've started this conversation. Just in a day, all of those business people suddenly woke up and thought, we do need to talk about this. And Sometimes the response I get when I talk to women about it is, should we be keeping quiet about this? Because is it going to 
mean that bosses want to get rid of us because they think we're not performing as well. If we'd always taken that attitude of not talking about things, there wouldn't be maternity rights now. There wouldn't be mental health arrangements being made in offices. There wouldn't be gay rights in employment. It's only by talking about these things that we bring it out into the open and then go, we don't need to be scared about this. You know, going back to that whole fear thing, we don't need to be fearful. We can talk about it as adults and say, what needs to happen? How can we make it better? You start with bringing the awareness. Yes. Awareness of the situation, because as I just said before, you mentioned things that I haven't, they have never crossed my mind. And you said in your post, the post of your colleague there in the US, the same. So just keep talking about it and let's close the gap. Yes, yes. The warning is mind the gap. That, that means that you can cross over it. If you know it's there, you can do something about it. That's awesome, Pat. And any last, we have to close now because, you know, we can talk here forever. <laughs> any last word that you want to leave for the community, of the people out there? I think it's just, you know, if you get that little message from the universe that says things aren't right for you, take action. I know so many women who ignored that first bit and then perhaps they had an accident, they, they fell or they got stress sickness or something that was the universe giving them the hardest smack to say do something about it. If you listen out and watch for the signs and think, Let me just check in with myself. Am I doing what I want to be doing and what I need to be doing? Then you can make those big, bold moves and, and be your brilliant self. That's so awesome, Pat. Thank you so much. And uh, where can we, we find your book? Um, it is on Amazon. It is Menopause Mind the Gap. If you type those words in and it's packed up with, you will find me on Amazon. Definitely. We will get you. Thank, Thank you. you so much for being here. Thank you. It's such a pleasure. It's great to be with you. That's all for today. I hope you got inspired to raise your game and be brave, bold, and brilliant. Make sure you listen to my other podcasts. Stories are great sources of inspiration and transformation. Subscribe. Remember, There is someone somewhere who needs to hear exactly what I shared with you here today. Be generous and spread the word. Give your feedback and help grow this awesome community. Until then, be brave, bold, and brilliant. And speak up unapologetically. <laughs>